When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod Save the King! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the King. I'm your host, Angrika. I enjoyed it so much last week. I thought I would come back again and I enjoyed being reunited with Russell Myers so much I let him back in as well. So, Russell, it's lovely to see you again. You've made it back from Germany. I did, yes. A whistle stop tour. And your voice has returned, which is good news for all of us. I'm glad you're I must apologise. I must apologise. I mean, I, I was with uh, Mr Vogler and he was sort of raising eyebrows at the, uh, the possibility of me even getting through the 20 minute or so segment. But I must apologise for offending was- people's ears on that journey. Well, but well, well, uh, we well, got there in the end. Thank you. And the good news is there is loads to talk about this week. Originally, we're thinking, oh, we we're going to record a couple of days ago to make things a bit simpler. But I'm very glad we didn't because there is so much good stuff to, start, to talk about. We've got the invitation we've got queen camilla people coming to the coronation what prince george is up to at the coronation the coronation portrait but um one of the big talking points has been the balcony lineup and russell i know you have some exclusive information that you have been revealing to mirror readers so tell us what the latest is on the balcony Yes. Well, I think this is quite an interesting point on so many levels because a lot has been discussed and and mooted about how uh, King Charles would like to present himself to the nation. It's obviously going to be his first um, point of call where we see him not only giving thanks to the nation, but uh, he will be presented as king for the first time. I know we've been calling him king for quite a while now, but after the coronation, He will leave with Queen Camilla, more of that later, but they will arrive back at Buckingham Palace in a a grand procession with members of the royal family. We kind of expected these things to happen. There was a lot of um, will they, won't they, with the Sussexes, will they come to the coronation, will they have a set of demands, whether they're going to be on the balcony, where will they be seated, and so on. But the king and queen have uh, chosen to celebrate the coronation by appearing on the balcony with just the working royals. Now, some may say, well, of course, we would expect that. But I think it's quite interesting that they've chosen to... This historic moment is going to be the the, the start of the the King Charles era, and he's chosen his sort of closest and most loyal family members and the opportunity to show, on the first instance, this vision that we've talked about for so long uh, of a slimmed-down monarchy. Now, again... There's going to be a sort of roaring fly past uh, over over Buckingham Palace, but who will be there? So we're going to have the King and the Queen. We have obviously the Prince Princess of Wales, their three children, which although not working royals, we could have expected them to be there. Um, and then we're going to have, of course, Princess Royal, uh, Tim Lawrence, who's going to there, so Timothy Lawrence, and the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, who are nearing pretty much their their retirement if they if they're not sort of taking their foot off the gas already, um, but also the Duke of Kent and his sister Princess Alexandra, and now they are in sort of their late eighties. You've you... forgotten the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh. So oh, I have. Well, I was known as the Countess of Wessex. When you I was are throwing me off, yeah, sorry, you're throwing me off sorry. my my stride because 
I think that whilst the, the sort of older um, statesmen and women of the group that I've just mentioned, uh, we would have expected the king to sort of reward their loyalty to the crown and to his late mother have served for, for decades. And while they may not be sort of on the scene for much longer, that the slimmed down version of the monarchy will be even more slimmed down, if you like. I think it's very interesting that the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, formerly Earl and Countess of Wessex's children, won't be there because we did see them on the balcony during Trooping the Colour uh, during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee last year. However, the documents that I have seen, it is there in black and white that they were not part of the plans. And some may say, well, you know, James has just been sort of given this promotion to Earl of Wessex. Lady Louise is now 19. She's been seen at a couple of engagements with uh, with her parents. Um, we know that she had a, a, a huge sort of bond with the, the late Duke of Edinburgh. And uh, however, they are not working well. It doesn't make sense to, to sort of put them front and centre if Charles wants to create this vision or to let people see this vision in the flesh. Um, so on that point, I think probably the right decision has been made. But interestingly enough, these documents reveal that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were never involved in these types of conversations as Prince Andrew was not involved in them at all. And while he may be sort of sloping off into the distance, um, bemoaning his treatment, which is no doubt uh, his own undoing, one one could argue, even though he's denied all the uh, all the allegations that were put in front of him. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex and the Duke of York were never part of those those um, those uh, those conversations and uh, and will not be appearing on the balcony. When you say not any part of those conversations, do you mean that they were never in the frame of consideration by the palace or that they never asked and said, please, can we come on the balcony? It'd be really nice. The view is great. Well, we've certainly seen rep reports and everybody loves to fly past, don't they? But there have been some, some reports that they Absolutely. were sort of... Uh, Yes. No, he did love it. I mean, I, I, people have been quite mean about poor Louis, saying he was you know, behaving badly. I mean, he's only four years old. And, uh, well, he's not it, it's, it's it's defenders. Tremendous, is tremendous, yeah. tremendous roar from overhead. However, whether the Duke and Duchess of Sussex did request to be in the balcony, I have been told that is, and you can quote this, a bit far-fetched. They were there were no such requests for them to be on the balcony. They I think they'll follow the blueprint of what happened during the Jubilee and the Queen's funeral. They turn up. They didn't really we didn't really see much of them. They faded into the background mostly. I mean, if we're being fair, they faded into the background. We we didn't um, have much cause to discuss them because they didn't do much. They did what they were asked, i.e. they turned up on the long walk with William and Kate and um and they said hello to a few people, and it was uh, it was all smiles for those small small periods of time that we saw them. So I think if they do come, uh, still no decision made. BP have not had their uh, their RSVP um, to consider yet. However, I imagine they'll be given a bit more leeway than the April the third date that was uh, for the for the rest of the people invited. So so yeah, where where does it leave them? I mean, I. I, I I don't think they were part of, of those kinds of conversations at all. I don't think they would have uh, requested to be part of it. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all there. These are the, these are the, this is the new era, isn't it? The new era. And it's something that I think Charles's slim down monarchy has long been the vision, I guess. And he's been working on it with the, the queen. We can think about 
um, that gathering they had at win outside Windsor during the COVID times after one of those first royal um, sort of you know royal go arounds of the country. Was it William and Kate had been out and about and they all came back and that was sort of all gathered outside um, Windsor for a really quite um, special picture, really. Yes, um, that was their tour of the UK, and then we had sort of the magnificent seven with the Queen, didn't we? Yeah, which is now then, sort of the the the, the mission diminishing numbers. We need to add up and come up with a what have we got? A football team or <laughs> how many people have we got? We've got the four the four the four older people plus the stupendous six. <laughs> I mean, were we including Camilla in that? Probably not. There's not very many left, is there? But um, I think it's interesting as well what you say about um, James and Louise, particularly thinking about the conversation you and Zoe had a few weeks ago when Archie and Lilibet became officially prince and princess and that sort of feeling of what what the royal parents want for their royal children or how much royalty they want for their children, if you like. And Prince, you know, Princess Anne's decision that her children weren't going to be HRHs and that seems to have worked pretty well for them you know they've they've been really clear on their life whereas Andrew has always it's always felt like he's been railing against the royal family and he wants his daughters to be more royal than they've sort of been given permission to be by his brother to a certain extent and maybe well, there is the, uh... again it's like actually you two you know be be yourselves and live your lives and we're fine with that I you know well there is yeah yeah I mean there is the uh, there's, sorry, there's, there is the argument of if they did want to be part of it could they could they sort of put in a job application and say to Charles, you know, we really do want to support you and the monarchy. We really believe in it. And they could do with a kind of, you know, two young people who are by all intents and purposes, very mature for their age. They are, um, they know the business of monarchy. Their parents are very grounded, I think. And, and if they wanted to, to, to be a part of it, could they, could they sort of lobby the king for it? I, I don't know the answer, to be honest. Um, I know that the king has always thought that the York sisters shouldn't be working royals, but would he change his mind for, um, for Louise and James? I, I, I don't know. I doubt it because you can't, you, can't, you can't pick and choose, can you? But it is an interesting discussion because of, because, this slim down monarchy always was Harry was part of it. Harry and whoever, whatever, who, whoever his partner his was family. going to be. Yeah, exactly. So his family were always going to be a part of it. And now they're not. Does that mean that the goalposts have changed? Well, they haven't at the moment, but might they in the future? Because if you think about the tremendous number of patronages that the Duke of Edinburgh had, the you know the late Duke of Edinburgh and uh, and the Queen, and reassigning all of those, and then the King's obviously now got he's got quite a lot of jobs and he's accumulated many as Prince of Wales and you know to a certain extent who do you give all of these things to so probably there's going to be some decisions about what things do we actually still need to continue doing which will probably be quite hard for some of the organizations that they've in, have enjoyed yes. that world support yeah. over so yeah. long so we're in a different this- era I mean it, it was someone's just posted me on Twitter that it was decided in the late 90s that Beatrice and Eugenie wouldn't be um working royals well how much has happened since then and just even in the recent history um is is there cause for change is it could it could it be presented as a a palatable situation for people to consider i don't know i don't know so i think i have um i have quite a lot of time for beatrice and eugenie like they seem to be good daughters you know possibly beatrice what didn't have her finest moment arranging that interview for her dad or whatever involvement she had in that but you know they tried to do some good things on the side you would think that they could be you know 
semi-useful doing supporting charity and and that kind of thing maybe there's maybe there's, is there an optional like day rates working royal like a little bit of freelancing so that you can get <laughs> get called in periodically to do to do some odd jobs when some of the others aren't available you know because this will be a very slimmed down monarchy I mean you think about Princess Anne famously the hardest working you know she and Charles they're both in their 70s and you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting. A whole new era, mm. and, but we have an idea of what that balcony scene is going to look like. So, what else was the other thing? The other big thing: the invitation. Well, talk so- about the invitation, but also the address. The the the. the um, I mean, Queen Consort Camilla would have made it quite difficult to fit everything on. I think. So maybe that was just you know we're just going to call her Queen Camilla because it looks much better. King Charles. Well- Queen Camilla looks a lot better on an invitation than King Charles and Queen Consort Camilla. Let's face it. It it does. And someone told me today that I think the Queen comes from the ancient word Quen or Quen. I, I can't remember, but it means wife of the king, literally. So I, yeah. I, when you when you're a queen in your own right, of course, that's very different. But this is very interesting because it is a controversial element. That first of all, when they got married, everybody was told that Camilla would be known as Princess Consort. Then, of course, we go back a year, just or just over a year, when the Queen, the late Queen, said herself that it was her sincere wish that Camilla be known as Queen Consort. And then, seven months after she has passed, we are now faced with Buckingham Palace saying she will be known as Queen. And we had had a few of uh, an indication that Buckingham Palace was doing this. We had the Queen's reading room that was put out by them uh, in February, I think, just a few weeks ago. And now on the invitations, we see that uh, she is Queen Camilla and she will therefore in future be styled just simply as Queen Camilla. So I think on the first and foremost, it shows that Charles has got what he wanted. He has shown that um, this is his, it was his desire for this to happen all along. Um, is it palatable? Do young people care? I don't think they do. I think it's probably sort of the, the elder generation, people, the generation above us. My, my parents probably have reacted uh, negatively about it. Well, she isn't, you know, I almost imagine. Um, Are they more bothered about her being queen than being queen consort? Like, does it make that much difference? It, to me, it's yeah, like I think they think they do. Words, I think... Like the demise honours, what does it even mean? It's like you're married to the king, you're his, you're his sidekick I th- and, I can, and life partner. I t- Totally agree with you, but I think that it stirs emotions in people of a certain generation where they feel that they kind of were invested in Diana and that the war of the whales is. I mean, we were we weren't really around in that time, were we? But it's an older generation are quite quite tapped into it, and they still have these um, emotions within them that come to come to the come to the center, and it may not seem together um justified but it's it's definitely a talking point but yeah well do young people care i think young people are having a bigger conversation about whether we need a monarchy rather than whether someone's called queen or queen consul and that is a that is a big issue for the royal family certainly not only at home and we keep speaking about this we've seen further in quotes protests i mean they weren't numbering only about 50 and uh in york today where charles and camilla were doing the maundy service but that wasn't happening during the late Queen's reign. And now these Republican movements are growing in number. They're growing in voice. There's, there's social media. There's conversations happening at home and abroad within the Caribbean. Uh, and I think with the revelations of, of the Guardian newspaper today about the royal families, 
involvement in slavery these are definite conversations that that need to be had um by by the royal family and and to give the, uh, to give them dues i know you want to come to that in a minute is it they, they are they are acutely aware of that they are having those conversations but um yeah it's kind of it seems as though it's sort of been done by the back door would you would you say so just gradually sort of drip 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 drip, drip. yes oh, look, yeah the queen can I just check something? I mean, I should really find this out. I found this out before I returned to the podcast. But as Queen, is she Her Majesty Queen Camilla or is she Her Royal Highness Queen Camilla? No, she's still Her Majesty. Yeah, she's Her Majesty Queen she Consort Majesty. at the moment. Okay. Yes, yeah. She is, she is, I mean, to she me, is, she's, she, is she is and always will be Camilla. I mean, whatever yes. title she has, she will be Camilla. Well, it's quite funny because like, but you see copy at the moment and people still refer to Charles, not as the King, the Monarch, the Sovereign, His Majesty, all of those. But see, people, people write Charles because you feel like you know him. That, that that never would have happened in the Queen's age. It's interesting. Nobody it's called more... her Elizabeth, apart from Nelson Mandela. Lizzie. <laughs> Lizzie. Um, the, the invitations themselves, they're rather, um, they're rather beautiful. They're, they're sort of a, a thro- like a real throwback with that sort of colours and heraldry. It's like a, you know, a, um, what do they call it? Sort of illuminated lettering that you might get at the front of a some grand old book, maybe in Harry Potter or something. It's very mm. beautiful. Um, you know, with the, the coats of arms and the different flowers. And I, I was very taken by the green man at the bottom. And, you know, it means the start of new era and, and that kind of thing. But I also just thought, you know, he is, he is our... Green King, not the brewery. Although maybe we should speak to them about sponsoring the show. Ah, that's it. It's the good. That was. I was trying to w- remember why I knew the Green King, and it's a brewery, isn't it? You sold it. I've been it's wondering that for the last e. two days. <laughs> so this, he he is our Green King. You know, environment has always been a thing that he um he cares about. Although it does also always make me think a little bit of the Jolly Green Giant, the the Green Man as well. Well, it's a pa- it's a pagan people. symbol that was a lot of people writing about, but it is symbolising rebirth. I mean, it shows my sort of juvenile humour that the the invitation because it's printed on cardboard, recycled cardboard, and uh, um, as you will, but it's known as a stiffy. <laughs> and this is actually official from Buckingham Palace. I mean, yeah, it's so you can use it as a coaster. Well, you, you do it, you're right with it. But the, uh, the, it's a, yeah, elaborately decorated foliage in a design by heraldic artist, that's the title, and manuscript illuminator, Andrew Jameson. He is a brother of the Art Workers Guild, of which the King is an honorary member. Should I take you through some of the things on the invitation? Because it, it is rather detailed. You have um, hand-painted in watercolour. I can't even pronounce this. Is it gouache? Ganoush? Okay, gouache. Gouache. I don't okay. even know what that is. I'm not an artist. We don't do art. We do, yeah, we do. <laughs> Just about so, it is recalling the coronation emblem, which were reproduced and printed, as I said, on recycled paper. The design of the Green Man is an ancient figure of British folklore, symbolising spring and rebirth, celebrating the rain. The shape of the Green Man is formed of leaves of oak, ivy, hawthorn. These are good pub quiz questions. And the emblematic flowers of the United Kingdom. And I must give you some more. The British wildflower meadow bordering the invitation features the lily of the valley, cornflowers, wild strawberries, a bee, uh, dog (laughs) roses, bluebells, a sprig of rosemary from remembrance. I never knew that. Together with some more wildlife. I've mentioned the bee, butterfly, ladybird, wren and a robin. 
it's and then a lion, a unicorn, and a boar. That's from his mother. Uh, <laughs> Just for good measure. Just for the good you, measure. They're on his actual coat much. of arms. No. So anyway, there's lots right. of feast your eyes on. It's uh, and then they probably did that to distract from the title of Queen Camilla. But oh, Dan, Dan in the gallery says it's gouache. Gouache. I mean, he is a man of so many talents. And he that's is, why he, he, he knows what he's talking about. I think that the, the thing that I found quite interesting about the um, the invitation as well, it's sort of a reminder of some of those wedding moments in the lace. You know, if you think about, I mean, Megan had the Commonwealth flowers around her veil and then Kate's Kate's lace was all overlaid with all the sort of, um, you know, the thistles and the roses and all of those wonderful symbols, which are so beautiful. So that's rather special. I don't I mean, I don't think my birthday party invitations will ever look quite like that. No, but, um, no, but it's, no. This is a special time, and the um, the coronation portrait I thought was rather lovely. I thought um, I thought Camilla looked glowing. Actually, they do look good great. in blue, both of them. I think she yeah. she especially. But I mean, yes, it was just a picture. Did we speak about? <laughs> did we it's speak a, it's about a very pictures? Portrait of sort of you know these kind of moments that you get very formal in the corridor, and uh, so it's Hugo Bernard who's the coronation. Photographer who did William and Kate's formal wedding photos with and without jelly worms. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of chat, chat about photographs. I can't remember if we talked about £8 million spent on pictures last week. Do, I we don't did think not we talk did. about that last week. Well, so let we let me spend you, on pictures yeah, in one week. Well, it, 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 there's the conversations about pictures and portraits and, and, and how much... And I think we've you've just just discussed a new era, and of course you must have a nod to the uh, to the um, the past and what that means and the traditions of old, but also the precedents that have taken place can be adapted, and that is definitely one thing that's being discussed at the moment because the British government have said that there's going to be eight million pounds made available uh, to uh, community centres, to the courts, to the police stations schools up and down the country and that is to if you want you can apply to have a picture a framed photograph of the king with his new portrait now of course we have been very used to going into these sort of public buildings in the past and having a picture of the queen and i don't think anyone would have thought anything about it but in a cost of living crisis now where everybody seems to have an opinion on everything um, it is very much up for discussion. And is it appropriate for the British government to be spending this money when they have strikes of teachers, nurses, not giving these public servants a proper pay rise, the people who dug us out of an awful situation during the COVID pandemic? And we are spending millions of pounds while people are entering food banks and children are not being able to be properly educated because teachers are striking for the right to earn a decent wage. Is it appropriate that we're spending this sort of money? Now, somebody may think that this is a drop in the ocean, but 8 million quid is still 8 million quid. So should the royal family pay for it themselves? It's not very modest if you're paying for pictures of yourself, is it? So I don't think it would have happened. But people are more acutely aware of royal finances at the moment. And the backdrop 
of the royal family, or did the king inheriting a 1650 million pound fortune, one billion, nearly a billion dollars, um, and not paying any inheritance tax on it? I think it's quite right that these conversations be had, but uh, maybe they could have waited until after the coronation to 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 have this sort of discussion. Because again, not going on too much about this, but hundred million pounds is an estimate, or well, one of the estimates we've seen for the uh, for the coronation. So it's an awful lot of money, whatever way you look at it, isn't it? It is a lot of money. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Um, Jill Biden is coming. Joe Biden, not so much. Yes, well, I think this is, you know, I don't like the word snubbed. And uh, this is not a snub. Joe Biden has obviously given his apologies. We had the press secretary at the White House saying that they had a 25, 30 minute conversation. No doubt Biden was 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 saying he's giving his apologies. He did come to the uh, the late Queen's funeral. Some reports saying that he wasn't too happy about being seated behind the European royals. But um, that's you know that's a, a that's an, another thing entirely. But I don't I don't think that this is uh, a big deal at all. Joe Biden is in uh, Northern Ireland in a in a in a week or two, and to do double legs of these journeys for an eighty year old man, I think that's probably the more sensible aspect of his travelling plans. And um, his presence in Northern Ireland is probably far outweighs his presence at the King's coronation. And we know that Prince George is going to be a page and there's various other pages who have been confirmed, various godchildren or children of godchildren. Yes, well, a good a good, uh, a good, good sort of point for Prince George because a lot of people were discussing what sort of role he would have um, within the coronation. Uh, and he's uh, he's been elevated, hasn't he? I mean, there was some discussion whether he would be Prince William's page, uh, whether that would form some part of the procession. But I think when you're... Because if you look at the old older coronation videos, right, the actual coronation procession, there was lots of the peers, and they all had a page, and Duke of Edinburgh had a page, and they would had some boy carrying their cloaks behind them, and whether George would have helped William do that sort of thing. But yeah, you know, he's been handed this central role for the coronation. Um, only nine years old, uh, being a page of honor with some other young boys who are well he's the youngest at nine the i think the boys go up to 13 or 14 but the camilla's three grandchildren she's got three of uh, sorry two of her uh, muddling up three of her grandchildren the boys because she's got two of uh two granddaughters as well but one great nephew as well is going to be um part of this um this ceremonial aspect of the coronation and of course then george is on the balcony as well so he's going to be pretty popular when he gets back to school on the the Tuesday definitely definitely so um Germany how did it go first state visit what's the verdict well I tell you what when we pitched up to Berlin and we went to the Brandenburg gate I was a bit concerned because I thought oh dear this might be a bit of a damp squib because there was not a big crowd at all it was very very muted um there was a smattering of applause there was one man with a union jet flag who was trying to rouse up the crowds and uh, i think i think he was he was the biggest royal watcher of all because the king saw him on three occasions twice in berlin and one in hamburg and he actually noticed him as well he got right to the front he said oh i saw you you're here again he couldn't believe it but um great i mean listen charles and camilla didn't put a foot wrong 
And I will say that it was way towards the end of the, the visit uh, in Hamburg, thousands of people outside the, outside the city hall, proper sort of rock star welcome for Charles and Camilla, that waving them to the crowds on the balcony. But I must say, I was in the Bundestag where Charles gave the most amazing speech. I didn't realise he spoke completely fluent German. I knew he he spoke German, but he was transitioning seamlessly from German to English, back to German, back to English, joking in both languages. I mean, his speech was 23 minutes long. It was absolutely faultless. And he really did tackle everything. He was talking about um, allied regret during the war, the fact that our two countries had been able to uh, put our differences aside come together, forging relationships, the, the the issues of Brexit, he didn't necessarily tackle, but certainly the German president did, said it was six years to the day since Britain walked away and the sadness still remained for our German cousins. But um, but the, the fact that Charles was there and had sort of by fate, I suppose, it had been his first state visit because he was supposed to be in France, but it was the Queen's last state visit as well. So I, I thought that was quite a nice rounding off of, of the whole occasion. And um, and we got to see a Axel Schaefer as well, or Scheffler. Scheffler, I'm not very good at my pronunciation say, today, but, um... but Gruffalo, the Gruffalo illustrator, Axel Scheffler and uh, and Camilla. Who's Camilla? I'm not sure if you've seen Camilla's drawing of the Gruffalo. I, I haven't seen it, but I hear it's very good. It was extraordinary. And the poor reporter that I had to question who was doing the rotor, I think I asked them three times, Are you are you sure that she did this? It's very, very good. But we do know she's an artist along with Charles, and I was very, very impressed. Oh, just imagine them having little afternoons together. We'll have their afternoon off today and do a bit of painting and drawing together. It's um, not a bad life. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the things that, so there was, there was that sort of recognition of the war and the past and the differences between the two countries. And like you said, with the, the slavery questions, and the Brit- it feels like Britain is now facing into its past in a way that Germany has, I think. I have a lot of respect for the way that Germany has um, it doesn't shy away from recognizing that some terrible things happened and um, has sort of comes to terms with it and tries to remember it and thinks that it's important to remember it to make sure it doesn't happen again essentially so well is this you mentioned that and um, I think that is this a lesson given the conversations that have been had today the Guardian newspaper in the UK see global global website um, has revealed these links of the the British monarchy, and I think there's big conversations happening about them, but the monarchy's links and how much they profited off the transatlantic um, slave trade. Now, one of the most interesting lines I thought was that the the king has signalled his support for this new research that is being um, handed by PhD and co-sponsored by historic royal palaces into the British monarchy's links with the slave trade. Now, Buckingham Palace said that uh, a document that had been uh, that has emerged in this series showing his ancestors stake in the slave trade and this was a document that showed the thousand pounds of shares that had been transferred from um, Edward Colson to William the third Edward Colson being the um, the renowned slave trader in 1689 showed that there was absolutely indisputable evidence that the royal family did indeed benefit financially from the slave trade now for his um to his credit, Charles and indeed William have, have both made statements publicly expressing 
Um, Charles spoke about his, uh, or William spoke about his profound sorrow. The King has talked about the appalling atrocity of slavery, said it forever stains our history. However, neither of them have, I think, has explicitly acknowledged that this, their full, the monarchy's full, full role within the uh, the slave trade and the conversations, of course, were being have had in the Cat of the Caribbean tour for the Prince of Princess of Wales last year about reparations, about apologies. And it's a, it's a big, big issue. And I think the next time that the royal family do go back to that part of the world and indeed Africa, they are going to have to face up to some pretty hard truths that um, that need to be to be answered. And so could they take a leaf out of Germany's book to try and face um, your history and, and rewrite the wrongs of the past? So they've had a very busy time. They've been in Yorkshire as well. I did enjoy um, Prince Charles saying there's nothing more fun than a gin distillery, which is a line if you were doing who said it, Charles or Camilla, I would probably have put it to Camilla because we've got Amber, our longstanding friend of the show who we used to talk fashion with. We, she and I always thought that Camilla would be good fun to go for a gin and tonic with. But yes, anyway, so they've been doing that. So and Maundy Thursday marks the start of the big Easter weekend. I know. How is Easter upon us already? We are on proper coronation countdown at the moment. So, yes, they have been in York at York Minster today, carrying on a long held tradition. I'm going to give you a bonus point if you know. I can give you a clue. It's from the era of King John. So how long does it date back to? Oh, ages. Oh, even older than um, well, a really old thing. Well, I think I'm probably confusing myself. So the custom of using Maundy money, especially struck by the Royal Mint, started in 1662 by the reign of King uh, Charles II. And the, the coins, uh, which included a four penny, three penny, two penny, one penny. And then by 1670, the king started giving out a dated set of all four coins. Anyway, that's by the by. This now is a set of coins four coins in a red bag and a blue bag sounds very matrix like doesn't it but the king is uh no, they normally go to pensioners but it's normally it's sort of evolved from that into uh people who have been sort of community champions community heroes so it actually dates back from the time of jesus christ and the commandment he gave after washing the disciples feet apparently this commandment or mandatum meant that the fourth century monarchs could wash the feet of the poor and hand out gifts of food and clothing so some of the coins represent the food and clothing and the other two coins this year are going to represent windrush and uh charles's upcoming birthday and they've probably saved a few quid because when the queen was in her advancing years. They had to produce the number of coins that were uh, that signified the the age that they were on that year. And uh, of course, the queen lived up to ninety six, didn't she? So they were producing quite a lot of coins. But this year, as Charles is the sprightly age of seventy four, he is going to be dishing them out to seventy four men and seventy four women. And Windrush, for those international listeners who may not be as familiar with it as we are, is. Um is the, the ship that brought so many uh, people from the West Indies to help rebuild Britain after after the war. It was a, you know, a huge sort of iconic moment and um, shift in the country. And again, part of recognising, you know, the, the past and the multicultural present, I guess. Absolutely. Um, and I'm, thank you so much for explaining the Maundy money because uh, our episode next week, you're not here and I'm not here, but I have interviewed Bishop Graham, 
to do an episode which I've been meaning to do for a really long time, which is about um, the royal family and their relationship with faith and the Church of England's relationship with them. So Easter time seemed like an appropriate time to do that. So it's a really interesting conversation and I hope uh, you will enjoy it, our lovely listeners. So that is what we have in store for you next week. What do the royal? Uh, do we know what the royal family are up to for their Easter weekend celebrations? Well, We're I, I to see them down at Windsor. Yes, we are going to see them at Windsor. We're going to see the the um, the Wales's children, all the children for the first time. So we're going to see Louis uh, with the, with the rest of the family. Hopefully, giving cameras a wave. And before we go, we just got to mention Fergie. Because she's, you know, we can't we can't let an episode go by without mentioning Fergie. Very, very quickly, Fergie has been doing the rounds. I mean, it seems like she's been doing the rounds for so long with this book tour. She's, um, and she's the breadwinner. She's going to be pulling in the coins because Andrew can't work. And uh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because she's been saying quite a lot that, referring to her role with, uh, within the royal family, saying that she didn't expect to be at the coronation. She said she was going to watch it at home, having a tea party. But interestingly, sort of alluding to Meghan and Harry, which she has done in the, in the past, whilst not criticising them, she has said that she uh, that you can't be in and out. You've got to decide. You've got, you, can't, you can't sort of leave the family and then expected to be invited to what she said were the weddings. But you could replace weddings with coronation, couldn't you? So... I think, uh, I mean, people love Fergie. She's one of the great survivors, isn't she, of this bizarre and archaic institution at times. But um, she is she is a great survivor. It's interesting that she has been saying more and more about her relationship with Andrew, revealing private conversations that she may or may not have had with the Queen Saying that uh, I, you know, I promised, I promised the Queen that uh, that I would look after look after Andrew, and that discussing him pretty much as a her son that was in a bit of bother. I mean, it's a bit more than that, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did enjoy it also finding out that the Queen seemed, seemingly used to feed her dogs digestive biscuits because uh, Fergie says they are no longer in mourning. Their tails have gone up now, so that's um, that is well, good that's relief. She was well talking about up. she was talking about the Queen's ghost visiting the dogs in a couple of weeks. So it's nice to see that they've uh, transversed <laughs> from their mourning period. Yeah, so, um, and I think we should also just share very quickly that Camilla's lovely tribute to Paul O'Grady, great friend yes. of Sarah Paul O'Grady as well, and, and well known for by many people, either as Lily Savage or for his work particularly with dogs, and his show was broadcast in goodness knows how many different countries, but... Um, Camilla saying, you know, the message that went out on social media deeply saddened to hear of the death of Paul O'Grady, who worked closely with Her Majesty in support of Battersea, providing lots of laughter and many waggy-tailed memories. So saying that she was deeply saddened by his sudden um, his sudden passing. There were, you know, were fantastic pictures of them when they were had their day out visiting the, the dogs together. So it has been a busy time. Russell, I hope some I hope you get some chocolate this weekend and have a well, nice. I was expecting break. hopefully someone's gonna bring me some in the office because they normally have a hoard of like Easter eggs that have been delivered, but no such well, favours. No oh, such well. favours as yet. So back to the grindstone, plenty busy, back. plenty to look forward to. Well, I should look forward to catching up with you hopefully in a couple of weeks. So um Russell, stay well. Listeners, do enjoy our episode next week, and I hope you get some um some chocolate as well this weekend whether you're celebrating easter or just want some chocolates chocolate is always to be recommended uh, you can find us on instagram and on twitter at pod save and until next time pod save the king hello and welcome back to pod save the queen 
I'm your host, Anne Ripper. I'm back again for my second week. What's Russell saying? It's Pod Save the King, mate. Oh, my goodness. Of course it is. <laughs> <sighs> you, you know I'm leaving that in, don't you? Carry on. 